Welcome to the Com Surgery Podcast Edition, hosted by Christine Townsend. Good day. As some of you will be aware, I recently hosted a PIO Toolkit Com Surgery Live webinar. We had a wonderful panel of communication experts who provided an excellent range of advice and insight to our attendees. Unfortunately, I made a mistake. I, in my excitement, neglected to record the first seven minutes of the surgery, for which I am truly sorry. For those of you who appreciate Parks and Recreation's Leslie Nope, I wanted to ensure I provide an apology that was on par with her ethics and moral code. I could have claimed an internet outage or perhaps blamed the city of Austin for some weather-related incident. Or even my dogs for chewing a cable, but I simply could not lie to you, my wonderful PIO Toolkit community. Considering my stance on honesty and integrity for all those who work in government communication, I could do nothing other than come clean about my mistake and own it. I can assure you that the shame and humiliation can only go some way to making this right. So again, I apologise to you and I apologise to our panel members. I will do it better next time. Thank you. the diverse populations, the diverse communities that you try to serve, that press release has to be translated into the languages where uh, people are uh, speaking. And of course, we always have to meet people where they are, be it that your event, be it it's, it's a press conference. Again, you need to have ASL at least. I was recently attending a an industry conference where lots of government officials were, were there and so were the industry folks, you know, myself included, you know, the, the event was three days long. I did not see a single ASL interpreter there. So check, uh, got to talk to the people who organized that event. And then virtually here, you know, we're here from you know, people from all over the places and virtually we don't see people on, on, online to help getting that message out. And I know you've got closed captions somewhere and that, that will allow people to have access to what we're saying or what people are hearing or not hearing, but at least they have the message. So the tools are incredible for our PIO people to utilize, be it translation, be it interpretation, be it ASL and 508 compliance. So we are such a strictler, uh, stickler and strictler to, to that uh, 508 compliance piece. It's not just the law, but it's really the right thing to do to serve our community better. So to tie up all that DEIA, A is so important when it comes to reaching our audience and serving our community. Oh, thank you, Dusty. I've learned I've learned so much and from and also from Sierra as well. And um, you're right, all of that is so important. I'm looking forward to actually uh, pull out some more maybe in, in a blog post or something so we can get those points um, for people to refer to. And um, I'm, I'm going to move to Tabitha on that. And actually, I have two questions for Tabitha. Because <laughs> we've had one come in. But um, on the kind of the messaging front, um, what new trends are you using or, or new tools are you using to enhance your messaging and if maybe tie it in around what we've been talking about? Yeah, sure. I totally agree with Dottie about you have to meet them where they are. Just the standard messaging and throwing out a press release or throwing up a Facebook post or, or things like that, that just doesn't cut it anymore. Um, and we have learned that over and over again, especially here on the local level, but I'm sure, you know, on the other levels as well. So two of the most recent uh, trends that we've kind of here in Perry, Georgia have have gotten on was um, we just finished up our first influencer um, campaign, um, mainly done toward tourism, but also to get um, mainly in our historic downtown um, kind of people who don't really follow, you know, the local government on social media or something, just trying to find ways where people won't 
and prefer a different type of communication. So we've been, we've got a local influencer who um, doesn't have a, you know, massive amount of followers, but has a great brand that is in line with our messaging here in Perry. Um, and we actually got at least two people out of that messaging to actually come down to Perry, Georgia and visit us and spend money and things like that. So super cool. Um, we were kind of wary of it, but uh, definitely use your resources that you have and think outside the box. I mean, that also, in, you know, our own little box, sometimes we get in there and it's different, you know, it's the same thing over and over. And just like Dottie and Sierra said, we have to make sure that we're trying to um, message and communicate to all different types of people. Which goes to my second trend is we just launched last year, the Inside Perry podcast. Now, a podcast about local government, I will give it to you, probably boring as I'll get out. You know, who wants to hear about the government, you know, but in our um in Perry, Georgia, we have a population of younger adults, lots of remote workers, things like that, who love to listen to podcasts. So what we've done is we have different episodes and we kind of, it's kind of like this. It's very conversational. We have a lot of laughing um, and trying to bring down the jargon of what our agency does to a conversational piece. Zoning, super boring to those outside of local government. You know, even I don't like to learn about zoning, but we we found a way to make sure that it's accessible and understandable for people that actually listen. So, you know, trying to see all that stuff outside the box is, is really important. And that's what we're trying to do here in Perry. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. Actually, you answered someone's question there from uh, from Scott about the, the podcast. And um, yeah. but on on uh, challenges, <laughs> we have a question that actually this comes up a lot in particularly in sort of local government. Um, this is from Jessica. And she sometimes finds it and we're sort of stepping away from what we were talking about a little bit. Um, she finds it's very difficult at times to get department heads to do interviews in a timely fashion. Um, sort of maybe among on the assumption that if they ignore them, they'll go away, which we all know is not the case. In fact, us, we double down. Um, so she's asking, what are some tips? And I'll start with Tabitha, but um, perhaps all of you could could chip in. Um, what are some tips you can get to get more stubborn colleagues to understand the importance of working with the media and doing so in a timely fashion? Absolutely. This is, I think this is a universal, especially amongst, you know, the government communication world is kind of talking about the value of what we offer. We don't just play on Facebook all day, unlike what a lot of people think we do. Um, so uh, what I've, I've also encountered my share of difficult colleagues and saying, we got to get this done. We got to do, you know, we've got to handle this before it gets out of control. So the thing I've, found is just perseverance, you know, make them, you know, say, this is the reason why it's important. This is what could happen if we don't do this in a timely manner. And that's not something you want to deal with. So take some time. I'm happy to be there to help prepare you. Normally they're just scared that they're going to say the wrong thing or something like that. Be a resource for them. If they're not scared and they just don't want to do it. Well, sometimes you have to go above them to get it done, but always saying, what are the consequences if we do not do this in a timely manner? That's usually kind of gets them, you know, kind of puts the bee in their rear end saying, we got to do this. Mm -hmm. So anyone else, Sierra, do you, do you have any experience in trying to get I think the nail on the head. Yeah, I usually make people, I guess not make, let's not, let's not go that far. But I recommend, right, that our, the, the folks who are our leadership, like take PRSA's um, crisis comms course, so that they really understand what happens when you just pretend, right, that like, you can't like, if, if you ignore the problem, it'll go away. Or if you don't respond in a timely manner, right, the incident will go away. Like, mm -hmm. it does not happen. It does. <laughs> Never. <laughs> it's not reality, right? And so I think um, PRSA's crisis comms course really does a good job, like, explaining that. Um, and for, for us in the Army, it's very much like, we need that proof, right? Like anything I do, I have to back it up with data, yada, yada, yada. Like, and so that's what I do. I'm like, take this course. <laughs> Absolutely. And Dottie, do you have any any thoughts on that? Um, 
<clears throat> excuse me, I echo both of my colleagues' uh, comments and tools they've used to nudge people to do to do media, media interviews and, and they like. Um, when I was a spokesperson at a large corporation here in the DC area, and I've used some tools as well. And so not just sending them to this training or that training, um, I actually sent them to um, media training courses themselves. And then I stay on top of them as in uh, always constantly giving them tips and examples, almost saying, see the, the other person at another company, at another corporation did not do this and that, that was the result. So um, they kind of got the drill, they kind of understood it, but not everybody was ready to jump on the phone with a, with a reporter or, or a camera for that matter. So once you build that uh, support, once you build that um, education awareness around folks who need to be doing an in interview with so-and-so, and they're more likely to, to realize, oops, those people have a deadline. I'm frantic about meeting reporters' deadlines because I was one of them, I understood. And so I always try to get my colleagues to do the same thing. So once they understood what it took to meet the reporters' deadlines and so on and so forth, things got a little better. Mm -hmm. I yeah, think- um... I'm just curious. Sorry, go what, ahead. What media training course? Um, there was one particular, uh, her name was Susan Peterson, I believe. Um, we've sent people there. Um, and of course, we've since done media training ourselves. But, you know, as a spokesperson of the company or the corporation, you were an internal person. You didn't count, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Right. You didn't really count. So you had to send them to an external expert. But now I'm, you know, ex external for a lot of people. We are the higher guns. We get to train people. We provide media training and so on and so forth to um, corporations and government agencies. So before that, when I was part of the team, you, you didn't you didn't count. You got to send them to outside uh, third party neutral places. Plus, they probably didn't want to be um, in front of a camera doing training with you because there's that element of privacy, there's an element of, ew, I don't want to say that in front of daddy, I, I, I really go somewhere else, which was fine. We, we send them to external people. Interesting. I think um, what I've found along the way is empowerment is so important. If you empower someone to feel confident and feel good and actually ask them what they're scared of and then address that um that often goes a long way to it and there's a lot of bravado with certain types of people that you put in front of the camera they think they're amazing and then they see themselves and they're just horrified and realize that they never want to go in front of the camera at all and I don't I think it's so important to set people up for success and I equally if they really aren't suitable don't do it to them it's, there's nothing worse than than putting someone ahead forward when they really really can't do the job you know um and this will kind of lead me into the um, cultural differences of, of um, communications that I'm hoping um, Dottie will speak to. But um, not many people realise that in the UK, public information officers do not go on camera. Um, it's not something we're ever trained in. We, it's hot to, to me. It's horrific. Um, but we write a lot and we train others to do it, which coming to the US, as I did six years ago, the difference is quite interesting to me. So um, you know, I couldn't understand why everyone was wearing makeup and had wonderful hair uh, <laughs> when, when I could just sit behind a screen and, and uh, behind on the phone and talk to people. So um, that speaks to kind of cultural differences around how people consume media, what's expected of them, personality and things like that. And I think that, that puts a lot of pressure on people. So giving them the power to feel confident in how they speak, how they look. I know it sounds almost quite shallow, but they're the sort of things that will make people feel better about communi communicating what they care about. So um, and and Dottie, I was so pleased that we we're going to have you because of the you've seen stark differences i'm sure in in uh cultural you know um, media handling and things like that i wonder if you could this is it's my show i'm going to ask the question that i would ask here um but how do you prepare for such um differences in communication when there is that cultural divide 
this is such a profound question and it's probably, you know, I could spend hours and days discussing, but I'll make a short version. And um, so thank you for asking. You know, we serve such a diverse community, uh, people, you know, whether it's Seattle, whether it's uh, Georgia, Perry, Georgia, whether it's DC area or, you know, in your case, UK and, and other parts of the world. When you, when you mm-hmm. see different communities, again, I'll go back to what I said earlier, you've got to meet people where they are. So whether you're preparing someone, an army officer who is, you know, typically an army way of de- dealing with things, but when you have to be in front of a camera or, or in front of a, we call it, you know, I used to be a pencil, right, print reporter, uh, or when you give a radio interview or podcast interview, those things are different. you got to help them understand you're speaking to X community. These these community members do not want to hear X, Y, Z. So be aware of the jargon, be aware of things that could be trigger, trigger words and or a red flag. And so it's our job, right? We're PIOs and we're, we're the, the, the people who prepare those folks who will go on camera or, or for that matter, we're the ones who go on camera ourselves, right? And so it's not just the messaging, it's more important your, your body language, that the cultural element of that, you know, you know, my, my communities, we're taught from an early age as a little toddler, we are taught not to look people straight in the eye because looking people straight in the eye is a sign of aggression. It's a sign of dis- disrespect. Mm-hmm. Guess what happens in this culture? Right. You, you, you gotta, you gotta really connect with people. So I've got to train my community people who, who are, you know, PhD scientists at uh, different agencies and different uh, corporations. And, and they've reached, you know, a certain level at, at their career where they have to give interviews, but they're showing their respect by not looking people straight in the eye. That's a problem here in the Western world. So it's vice versa. And so, uh, again, it, it's the nuance or the lack thereof. It's the cultural elements and it's how to talk to people in the right way. So I, I have a perfect example of Syria. I'm sure you have this and I'd love to compare notes with you afterwards. When you have the flyer to recruit young people to join the army, join the Air Force, join the other military branch, the, the flyer is in English. The kids get the flyer all excited. The kids take the flyer home to show the parents, the grandparents, who need to bless the kid to go into the army, but the, the grandparents or the, the, the parents do not read English or are not comfortable in reading English. So what do you do? You produce a flyer in this language, in Arabic and Russian and Chinese and Tagalog and Greek for that matter, right? So, and, that's, and I say that because we have to target our community the way they need to be targeted. If we don't speak their language, if we don't understand what makes them tick, then we fail as a, as a communicator. And, uh, and I see a message here from John. I do want to address that, that we have to make sure the ASL interpreter is vetted and evaluated. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have, I have horror stories or case studies, infamous case studies to share, which I will discuss at my keynote at the come school in uh, in, a, in a month, less than a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just ESL, right? It's that uh, translation. If that piece, the recruitment flyer piece, is not quite translated the way people could read and relate, and again, you're, you're missing the mark. Mm-hmm. Um, can I give another infamous story on that? Go on, Dottie. I'm, yeah. I'm intrigued. Please not, say. Army, not the Army, but this is another federal agency. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to share their name, but... Um, you probably could figure out who they are. During the Katrina um, disaster, so lots of people were impacted. So this agency decided to have this flyer translated into Vietnamese because these Vietnamese fishermen were impacted the most. The flyer went out to get people to come get free money, free aid, free resource, free everything. No one came forward. So the agency was scratching its head saying, hmm, free aid no one's coming forward what's going on they did a little bit digging they found out the translator whoever they were the translator had used 
some Vietcom language in relating that flyer to the Vietnamese fishermen. So as you know, these Vietnamese fishermen had fled communist, communist Vietnam to come to the free land, land of the free. They were not going back there to say, hmm, this didn't sound right. I'm not going to be tricked. Whether it's free money, free aid, free resources, we're not going. So it turned out the agency not only lost money in, in that translation effort, but lost the trust and the faith in the community. You cannot count that in dollars, in dollars and cents. So it was a tremendous, horrible experience. And of course, it's an infamous case study to tell you, to tell us how translation should not be done. Yeah. Thank you, Dottie. Yes, I think we've we've probably all come across something like that. And if ever anyone gets to see me in person, I'll happily share uh, my stories of when we had to translate things into Welsh. But um, <laughs> if anyone knows about Welsh, they'll know that it is uh, very challenging indeed. Um, so I'm going to move to another question now. Um, and it's been an exciting time for Andrea, who has asked a question because it looks like she may be able to get an employee soon after being a solo PIO for so long and doing everything. We know how hard it is to get another person on a team. So I'm going to ask each and every one of you what you think are some of the most important qualities and skills that she should look for in her first employee for her comms team of two soon to be. Uh, who wants to start? Sierra, let's go with you. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I would definitely say someone who knows their way around social media and is and is very intentional with using social media as well. Um, like that, that would just be me because there's a lot of things to to capitalize on. Where like if you've been doing the job and you've been like one man banding or one woman banding that thing, like you know the day to day processes. But then to have somebody be able to amplify the message uh, and and know how to tap into target audiences and like even with Tabitha's example, right? Like can think outside of the box and say like, hey, maybe we need a podcast or hey, maybe we need this and that. I would say somebody who's really tapped into the digital space and the virtual realm and and social media. Fantastic. And Tabitha, you must have employed hundreds to your empire. Um, oh, of course, yes. <laughs> overwhelming, and I just don't know what to do with it. Of course. <laughs> Actually, how many do you have? Yes, well, the funny thing is, um, with Andrea's question, I was the one-person show up until about a year ago when I, they actually blessed me with an additional employee, which was amazing. Um, so, yes, absolutely what Sierra said, you know, making sure they understand the basics of the theories around all the social media and what they're used for and what they can be used for. The other thing that I also looked at was um, I wanted to make sure they had a solid understanding of graphic design um, because if they come in doing like word, you know, the dreaded word document graphics, that's not the brand that we have. And graphic design can take up a lot of time if you're used to doing it, um, especially if you're like a perfectionist like me, we'll look at it for seven hours straight and get nothing accomplished. So um, so definitely, you know, the understanding of the, the social media, but also the understanding of what your agency's brand is and how to translate that into graphics, into video, things like that. That would be my, my suggestion. And it's worked out great for me, so. <laughs> Dottie, how about you? What's your must-have in a in a person on a comms team? Thank you. I, I think both of my colleagues have uh, hit the nail on the head yet again. I think that person needs to understand how to connect with the audience you're trying to serve. It could be your your local community. It could be a group of educators. You know, the Los Angeles teachers have been on strike, and you got to know how to talk to them if that's the piece that will go out to 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 be seen by them versus the lawmakers versus the the parents and, and students right so someone who knows how to connect with your audience and and that involves creativity i think both of you mentioned that so how to get the the message throughout uh, out in the graphic um, form in, in a video form, a podcast form, and a cartoon for that matter, mm -hmm. and, right? So you gotta talk to the people who who could 
could it get your message, but more importantly, how, how to design that message so that your message is the most effective, the most um, optimal to get, get the job done. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Tabitha, please. Just to add to that a little bit, what I'm always impressed with whenever I interview somebody for a job or say like they want to come to the city of Perry and I'm involved in the interview process is look for the people that actually research who you are because anybody can apply for a job. But those people that have taken the time to say, hey, this is what I understand your brand is. This is what's coming across. You know, just like Dottie said, understanding the many facets of target audiences that we deal with, you know, I mean, if somebody takes that, that opportunity and that time and effort to actually understand what you they're applying for, that will be, that'll put, push them over the edge over anybody else. And that will give you a good employee. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think um, for me, if I can contribute as well, um, having initiative is so important because it's such a broad role it is you have to be able to do one of a hundred things in 10 minutes at the drop of a hat and I think anyone who can actually take the initiative to make things happen solve problems and just be there and have your back is is just so crucial um if if I have to say google it google it google it to someone <laughs> then that's not someone I want on my team I need that that smart sassy kind of yeah we can get this done don't worry about it I think being able to turn your hand to anything even if you aren't necessarily um qualified in inverted commas in that job um you you've got to be there for an all hands on deck if if it goes wrong and someone who's fearless about doing that or at least puts their hands up and says I don't know how to do that I need help um I think it is I will say this so often it's a truism you know communicators are often the worst communicators we just get head down get on with it and think we're doing the right thing when actual fact is I had no idea what you were thinking and you sit right opposite me um so for for me I think it is that those personal qualities I think you can always tease out good personal qualities but but you can teach skills right Mm-hmm. But personal qualities are, are, are the thing. So I say that and then I get massively frustrated after a week because no one listens to me. But <laughs> I joke, of course. But, yeah, there, there's a lot to it. Um, but it's actually, I think, if that person's willing to roll their sleeves up and, and get stuck mm-hmm. in, um, that's important as well. Um, and and also, I think, and I'm sure everyone would agree, having a, that awareness of what reputation is and how important that is and relationships so i could i could do a whole other webinar on on the ideal (laughs) is there one who knows but i know i've met many really great people that do an awful lot of different roles because they have to so um i'm just thank you again for that that um contribution i'm just uh looking back at some more questions we've got (laughs) <laughs> Andrea, I'll see what I can do, Andrea. I'll, I'll try and I'll try and pull one together. Um, so I'm I'm interested in um, I'm going to go to Sierra around how as a, someone who was a freelance journalist whilst also working in the police. Do you find sometimes it conflicts with your role in what? Um, as an outsider, I would assume to be very structured, very strict around policy and procedure. And then when you publish your freelance work, how have you ever had any issues with that? I will say that I love it because it's two different worlds, right? It's like the military and beauty. So, <laughs> but there was there was once when I had a story that was talking about the new grooming standards for the army. Um, And so how they affected um, women of color, uh, black women specifically. And I really wanted to pitch that story, but I was like, I work for the army, I can't. So anyway, I gave it to my editor. And so that was one where I obviously like, I would do a fantastic job, like not just shooting my own horn, but but, but I was so interested in it, but that was one that I couldn't do. You know what I mean? Because like my employer is the US army. So I had to pass that one off to my editor and the writer did a fantastic job. That must have been frustrating then. <laughs> it was, it was. I know that feeling. Um, I have uh, a question, thank you, Sierra, about um, 
responding to reporters' inquiries, and this is um, from Leslie, I know I've got a few points to make on this, but what, what do you all find so challenging, or the most challenging, I should say, when res responding to reporters' inquiries? Um, perhaps, Tabitha, you could start us off on that one, because I bet you've had a few. I'd say, do we have a... Do we have time for this? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, the most challenging, at least in the local municipality world, is there is such a turnover of reporters. Mm -hmm. And most of them are straight out of high school, maybe a little bit of college. And they have no, well, the majority of them that we have dealt with, I don't want to put them all in one thing, um, is they have no clue what they're going out to cover especially when it comes to government. Nothing is cut and dry with us. Nothing is simple. There's always some complexities. And I know that the rest with my colleagues here as well can agree to that. Um, so having to kind of teach them what they're trying to cover and trying to figure out what they want to cover is, I mean, it can be difficult because if, you know, we're spending $50 million on a wastewater treatment plant, which is, you know, breaking news, then if they don't cover that correctly, all those people that are watching or reading or whatever, all of a sudden we have a crisis on our hands because the the, uh, the message got miscommunicated. So making sure that that reporter understands what the facts are and to make sure not to stray from the actual facts um, is really has really been difficult the past couple of years. And a lot of times that's not the reporter's fault because they're, I mean, they're going they're getting in there and their editors or whoever like go out and do this, go out and do this. And they have only a specific amount of time. So they're under a lot of stress too. Um, so trying to find that balance is, is very hard for us. Mm -hmm. And perhaps um, you may have some advice, any of you about how you can help with that, because it's not, I think the, the challenge now is that it's all about ads, all about clicks, all about, you know, getting just something, whether it's and not, in depth of understanding a, an issue i don't think you have as many crime reporters anymore i don't think you no. have as many people that specialize in in issues um and they like you say they're just coming out of college and they're going straight in and they're writing 300 words how to you know find a decent piece of cake somewhere mm -hmm. and it's it's not getting to the, the issues um dotty do you have any advice on how you can kind of ensure the narrative is is solid and and without you know doing the job for them unless of course like I like to do sometimes is actually write the story for them um which will then get picked up Dottie what, what do you think yes we've all done their job for them we call it spoon feeding right mm -hmm. um because they are young because they really don't have the time to file five stories at once and and then you write a perfect piece for them, they're just going to pick up and word by word, word for word. Mm -hmm. And so this reminded me of uh, a place many, many years ago when the Post, Washington Post stopped covering local, local news. I was editor-in-chief stepping into a role while I was running Trans-Pacific Communications. So I was editor-in-chief and this um, big story, actually, the police chief, Lenny Goodyear, um, decided to pull out the, their Chinatown uh, police liaison. I mean, uh, it's outrageous, right? Why, why would you do that? That was something the community needed. So the community members met with her day after day, and I sent reporters there to cover. We had the camera going. I was there myself. So basically, we captured her on camera lying. And days later, she was rewriting history. So it's like, hello, lady, right? Mm -hmm. So in a way, you you know, I had to coach my young reporters which angle to do. It was a pretty extensive in-depth in, in investigation piece. And Postal would have, you know, back in the days, Postal would have covered, but, but they didn't have the resource anymore. So we filled that void. Um, but flip to the other side, um, I was interviewed by some reporters um, in the last two months or so to celebrate Lunar New Year, Chinese New Year. Well, they all wanted to do a piece about the Lunar New Year. So they came to the cross-cultural communication expert, uh, Dottie Lee, who happens to be the voice and voice coach of Rosetta Stones, 
Mandarin products. They are like, oh, you got you're the perfect person for us to talk to. So because other people recommended me as the cultural expert, so they don't, you know, again, don't even do their uh, homework. Mm-hmm. They bought me as a cultural expert. I said, well, that's that's not right. I mean, it's it's not just cultural expert. It's cross cultural expert or you, you want to throw in Rosetta Stone fine with me uh, you know you got and then there are other things I had to go back to talk to them about like if if you wanted me to be the, to be featured in your piece and then utilizing the Rosetta Stone Mandarin thing that you you know needed to give me that space to do so otherwise why do you even bother doing a piece so there are lots of things that go into it even though we were on the other side, but it's you, you, you still have to edu- quote unquote educate uh, them on how to frame the story, how to even just get a label right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested in how strongly you feel about um, rapid rebuttals. So rapid rebuttals were one of my favorite things to do. Um, if, if minute I saw an issue coming up and um, I think, Arguably, it's easier to do from a police department perspective um, when it's factual and people get things wrong and you go straight in there and get on the phone to that editor. If it's more nuanced or if it's through a news agency, it can make it more complicated. And sometimes it's tempting just to let it slide because it's like, actually, who is going to pick this up anyway? Would you go with you know, corrections and rebuttals, or how how do you assess whether you think that's necessary? Is that to us? For anyone, you? sorry, I should direct this, uh, Dottie, you, you, we'll stick with you on that one and then we'll see what the others think. I have to pick my battles. Mm-hmm. I was, or figure out if this is worth the fight or energy. Some things you're like, oh my gosh, these people got it so wrong. I couldn't stand it. Then I need to do write a piece. There is a chance I have a reporter friend that I've already known for a long time. I say, hey, listen, you know, what what do you think? And is that worth the effort? Sometimes you just you draw the line in the sense that you absolutely have to jump in um, wholeheartedly to say, you know, this is the fact. This is what we do, and this is what the the stats and the facts and you, you give all that and, and send it over. Sometimes it's, you know, for, for a client, sometimes it's just for a cause that they, they totally messed up, uh, you know, not to, to use that as a uh, example related to this, but I hear anchors and reporters often referring to Xi Jinping who just met with Putin, but how many years do you have to train them how to say the name right Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a brain surgery surgery at all. That you know, I'm tempted to to call my friends at CNN. Oops, I just outed them. Hey, have your anchor people say it right? right? <laughs> well, if anyone's ever had, <laughs> if anyone's had the experience of the BBC pronunciation unit, um, yes, it is a thing. Um, <laughs> I've been told off by them. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I think you made a really good point, though, uh, um, picking your battles, um, because there's no point getting an ulcer over some stuff. Um, Tabitha, have you, <laughs> I'm not, have you got, had an ulcer? No. How do you deal with... Um, totally, totally agree with Dottie. I mean, you've got to pick and choose your battles, because sometimes, you know, you'll you'll battle out, and it just gets worse from there, for, how, somehow. I, I don't even know how. Um, but... Even though I said earlier in my response about the turnover rate and, you know, how much the reporter is and everything, if you can try at the very first meeting to establish a relationship with them, um, you know, professional relationship, try to give them, you know, what they need, what, you know, as long as it's not classified or under investigation or something like that, of course, but just being kind you know, to a reporter because they deal with crappy people all day, too, just like we do sometimes, mm-hmm. um, you know, having that relationship. So if something is wrong or something, you know, whatever, they're going to kind of go to battle for you if they need to change it. Now, if it's something massive or whatever, then, yeah, that's the hill I'm going to die on, you know, because you have to in certain cases. But um, but establishing I found that it, the relationships that I have with those reporters from the very get go if you're kind, 
you you try to work with them as best you can and everything, then you have an advocate there. So, and that makes, it doesn't solve all the problems, but yeah, it makes absolutely. it easy. I, I couldn't agree more. And um, yeah, it, it's sometimes it's honey more than vinegar that works, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so Sarah, I'm actually going to change the subject because we had a fantastic uh, question come in and we don't have much time. Um, so Scott Anderson's asking, you talked about the PRSA's crisis communications course. Um, they talk about the value of standby statements. So perhaps, and for me as well, actually, if you could give an example of, um, or two, when having those standby statements has benefited your response. And if you could uh, briefly define what a standby statement is for those who might not know. For sure. I mean, I can, maybe one of the most recent examples um, would be Vanessa Guillen's tragic death um, out of Fort Hood. Mm -hmm. um, and we as Army recruiters, right, knew that, our parents, our, you know, even our recruits, their families, our influencers would see that and have a ton of questions about like what that means for a 19 year old going into the army, right? The people we recruit. And so a standby statement is something that we had on standby, knowing that that news would come out. Um, or in, and after that, there was like another Netflix special that came out. And so in both of those instances, we had those standby statements ready, um, you know, acknowledging the tragedy and then really spelling out, you know, what that news means for our recruits. Fantastic. And you actually you mentioned Netflix. Um, and I know that there have been a few issues with Netflix documentaries being made without involvement from people. Um, I can think of a couple that I've watched and thought, well, even I know that's a load of rubbish. Mm. Um, would, how do you deal with when you've sat down, you've had no involvement, if you if this has happened, or, oh, this is open to everyone, really, if you've had this experience, you see something and there's so many true crime things where it involves a city or what have you, and it's just nonsense. Do you, would you still advise having statements available for something like that, even if you've not been approached, not been you know involved? But, but how would you tackle something like that? Because especially with such a contentious issue that you were talking about, that was I've living in Austin, Texas, being so close to all of that, I saw the narrative that was full, many narratives that came out of that, that was a, so incredibly conflicting and not knowing you know who was right, what was wrong, what was upside down, you know. Um, any advice on on stuff that you simply had no involvement in and what you what you would do to counter any narratives that are false well that's you know and the funny thing i love netflix documentaries i absolutely i love any type of documentaries but it's funny that you mentioned that because there was one about oh my gosh i forgot what it was about a nuclear reactor um i forgot what it was called but I Googled it afterwards and, and it talked about how it missed all of this information. And I'm like, how scary is that? Is me who has no clue about anything with that get entertained? Yeah, Three Mile Island. Thank you, John. <laughs> the, um, you know, just to watch and get entertained in the documentary, I'm getting educated and it's not the whole truth. Mm -hmm. But most people won't Google, Google it, you know. And, and actually get the other side of the story. How scary is that? You know, I mean, if you really think about it. So if that ever happened in our case, you know, I mean, if it was something super significant that could completely change the way somebody looks at our agency or our values or, you know, something that's detrimental, absolutely, I would put something out. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, now, granted, if it's something smaller, whatever, yes, that's, you know, whatever. But but it is, I mean, having that big of an impact on somebody through video and film and emotion and it not be the complete truth, that's that's scary. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I see it a lot in police documentaries of cases that I've dealt with. Um, I didn't even know this person. They weren't even involved in the case, but they're an expert. Um, so, and that, I suppose that ties into sort of... Um, misinformation and disinformation and that's becoming a bigger 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 challenge um for everyone in communication and um how do you stay on top of it i mean sierra you must see it a lot with the army um rumors and how how or how do you even begin to to, to deal with that well, I mean, one of the things that we're good at in our jobs is staying on top of things, right? And so making, again, making sure you're ahead of the curve. I, I think it is always probably better to have a standby statement than not have one. 
Um, but but it's really taking a proactive approach instead of a re like, you know, the, the best of us are the, the most proactive where everybody's like, I don't think this is a big deal. And you're like, wait, like I've thought two, three steps ahead of this. Right. And I know this might be a good I mean, a big deal. So, like, let's make sure we're prepared ahead of time. And yeah, like misinformation is like Twitter, love it, but also hate it, right? Because like, that's just the mince. And I was thinking about this when Tabitha was talking about um, like picking and choosing your battles and responding to some of that. There was an article um, that a local news station put out and apparently they got some facts wrong. And so the, the police unit sort of like did a quote tweet and so retweeted and actually put like, well, actually comma, like these are the actual facts and really backed it up. And then of course that went viral because it's like, how could you get the most basic things wrong? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Dottie, do you have anything to say on the on this matter? Well, I guess uh, some reporters or some documentary uh, uh, filmmakers are not doing their homework either. Like, you know, from now a Monday morning, Monday morning quarterback, we're like, how could you? How could you miss that big chunk? Or how could you miss not talking to the family? I, I recall another documentary that was made and ready to fire and was pulled off because that um, family was even consulted. The, mm -hmm. the main person who was featured, that person's family didn't get a chance to, to tell their story. So, and then that was mm. you know, shelved forever. I mean, the, the, the experience of secondary trauma as well is really real. And it's something I think that PIOs have to be aware of in terms of victims or um, people that have been involved in very, very difficult or upsetting um, circumstances. And I've had that happen a lot. Um, and so to put them through that again, it's it, it's very it's a whole new area of, of professionalism that PIOs need to embrace is actually you, you're part therapist, you're part counselor it, it's having emotional awareness and empathy for people involved in the bigger story and and john makes a, a really good point you know you have it you you have to have holding statements for everything um i have my beloved big red folder which i talk about a lot or i imagine the worst could possibly happen at any given time i worked in an airport so i had so much fun um imagining godzilla and all sorts coming up and just saying what would i say if this so you know you're always in if this then that mode i think as a, as a pio um even if nothing ever happens because that's a complete fallacy the minute someone says to me oh nothing never happens in our, our town that you can guarantee in the next couple of weeks it's coming your way um so i um i'm gonna start sort of winding up there because um i don't know where the hour has gone um i want to take a, a moment to sort of hear from each of you but i just i'm so pleased to have had the um, benefit of all of your wisdom and experience. And it's, it feels like it's just not enough time and I can't wait to, to meet you. I would like, if you don't mind, to put your LinkedIn profile links in the chat for people if you want them to get in touch with you. If you don't, don't it's fine, I respect that. Um, however, you, you've just given such um, amazing insight into issues that certain things I haven't um, considered uh, and really I think helped open up a, a number of uh, issues for people to sort of think about further. Um, so before we go though what I'd like to do is um, well firstly I'm going to have to mention NAGC again that's coming up soon where all, all these lovely people will be and I can't wait to meet in person and, and continue the conversations. Um, I have to of course mention PIO Toolkit and Trusted Update. I, I want to uh, engage with as many PIOs as possible as so I love what I do I'm passionate about it. Um, I also want to mention um, law publications they provide printed materials um, for agencies uh, so get in touch with them um, Greg's going to put some info about them. They're a fantastic um, resource. Um, but Tabitha, Sierra and Dottie, I'm going to ask each and each one of you, what is wonderful in your world right now that you want to tell people about? We'll start with uh, Sierra. Uh, the Army is launching its new brand at March Madness across the country. Uh, so we have a new Army logo, new Army star. Uh, and then we've gone back to the tagline, be all you can be, which I can sell that tagline. I'm just saying. So, <laughs> so it's super, it's a super exciting time to work for the Army. Thank you. Tabitha, how about you? 
So we are actually having our last meeting today, uh, tonight, for what we call Peary University. It's one of our um, community engagement programs where it's a five-week course. We meet every Thursday, and they get a behind-the-scenes of what's going on. So we talk about, you know, zoning and community development and everything, but we also have a public safety where they're able to um, cut into a car with the jaws of life and get to talk to the firefighters and law enforcement and see what they actually do. Because there's a lot of times where people don't understand what, you know, the, the complexities of what's involved in government. Um, so we've had 18 people that have just been super sweet and great. And tonight's the last one. So hooray for me for not having to work late um, for another week. <laughs> and, um, but just really glad that the class has taken off and that we can make ambassadors you know, just by educating them on what happens. And later on, if our, something unfactual goes out, you know, we have those ambassadors that say, no, this is how it really is. So Fantastic. really excited. Thank you. Thank you, Tabitha. And Dottie, please share with us your wonderful thing of which you've probably got many to share in your world. I have at least three things to share. I'll limit my things. Uh, the first <laughs> is translation. Uh, we're doing all sorts of translation for the State Department in many, many languages, i.e. translating our embassies throughout the world. Uh, there are catalogs, which is fun, so much fun. Yeah. Different. Uh, my gosh, it's better reading, uh, better than reading some of the dry, boring uh, uh, government reports, for sure. So that's on the translation side. Of course, ASL is included, just in case people forget. I actually just talked to talked to two ASL interpreters this morning to prepare them for an event we have Monday for a government agency. It is about celebrating Women's History Month. So that's that's under the umbrella of translation, interpretation, and ASL. And um, the second piece is cross-cultural communication. We have three classes that begin next week to help people how to communicate better cross cultures, and uh, most of them are non-native English speakers like myself. The third piece is Asian American Heritage Month. Mike, hey, Michael. Michael knows that um, every month of May is Asian American and Pacific, Her Pacific Islander Heritage Month. That acronym has changed so much. Used to be yeah. Asian American Heritage Month and then AAPI. Now it's AANHPI. Go figure. So for, for the month of May, um, I get to become the poster child for the month of May, <laughs> as, as uh, Michael knows and other people may know. So I get to prepare for a lot of keynotes for the month of May. Uh, hey, just in case you need a dynamic keynote speaker for the month of May, you know how to get hold of me. And I'm no shrinking violet, as you can see already. Um, so those are the things that are happening uh, at Trans-Pacific Communications. Thank you so much. And actually, Sierra and Dossie, Sierra, remind me of or remind everyone what you're speaking about at AGC. Uh, how to write a press release that guarantees publicity. Perfect. Dottie. <laughs> uh, I'm speaking about uh, increasing cross-cultural communication in your messaging capacity. I will talk about uh, some of the things we discussed today, translation, interpretation, ASL, and then some. And Tabitha, you'll be uh, presiding as a president. Yes. And I'll also be <laughs> on a panel. Uh, we're talking about podcasting and how easy it can be. Um, so, yeah. But other than that, yes, I'll be presiding. And um, if you are able to join us in Portland, Oregon, in a couple of weeks, less than a month, um, please come and join us. We'd love to have you. You can find more information on NAGC.com. Thank you. I should probably mention that I'm also speaking. Yes, that's that. true. <laughs> I'll be talking about uh, health, mental health, well-being for PIOs um, and uh, probably telling some really uh, terrible stories that will be very vulnerable, but hopefully will help you all uh, in these this crazy job that we all do. So thank you. Thank you so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. Um, and thank you to everyone who's made comments, who's joined us, taken the time out to uh, contribute. You are truly all appreciated. So we will see you next time. Thanks so much. Bye, everyone. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Take care. Thank you, Dottie. I'll follow up on email. Thank you, Christine. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.